about her condition, Weaver says to Alva. The girl's eyes crack open and close again. Her breathing flows calm and even. The pain seems to be gone for now, and the bleeding has stopped. Very gently, Alva coaxes the girl's mouth open, holds the towel and the glass jar against her skin, and pulls the Medusa out. Its lifeless weight drops into the jar, where the bright red blood tendrils begin to spread through the water cradling its dead body. Alva picks up the cup from the night table. We turn to go. After the warmth of the sick bay, the morning is cold around us. Weaver stops a few footsteps ahead of me. I don't expect you in the halls of weaving until this afternoon, she says. I'm grateful that she remembers. It's nearly time for the morning gong. I bow. Weaver nods at me and continues towards the building where the halls of weaving are located. I suspect she sleeps even less than I do. The incoming day is unfolding on the horizon, and for a moment I am alone under the sky of the house. The cell is cool and silent. The thick curtain lets in a thread-slender rectangle of light around the edges of the window. I turn the key in the lock and shake the glow glass on the table. As the water inside the globe moves and wakes up the algae, the shine begins to grow. In the dim light, I examine my skin from head to toe more carefully than usual. The back is always the most difficult. There's no mirror. I find nothing apart from the perpetual calluses on my fingertips and soles. I look for clean clothes to wear and fold the dirty ones into a pile I will carry into the laundry room later. I can sense the faint scent of Alva's brew on them, herbs that bring sleep and rest. Perhaps I should have asked Alva to mix me a similar potion. She would have said no at first, but then done it anyway. I sit on the bed until the morning gong begins to echo in the stone walls and vibrate on the webs. I walk together with the weavers who are on unravelling duty and on their way to work in the web maze today. It is said on the island that the district of the House of Webs is mapless, a shapeshifter. Careless travellers never find their way out if they wander too deep. Yet the weavers know the way. The three solid buildings of the house are surrounded by a zone where the streets and buildings are formed only by woven webs hung between stone pillars, seemingly arbitrary narrow alleys and dead ends. It is here that strangers will lose their way, and sometimes weavers too, when they've not yet learned how the roots are shaped and transformed. Here, Walls are unravelled as soon as they are completed and woven anew somewhere else when they have ceased to be. Everything follows a predetermined order, yet you must hold the exact keys to it in order to perceive it. As I draw further from the heart of the House of Webs, stone fences grow onto the landscape almost unnoticeably. The city no longer flits and filters light everywhere but takes a more solid shape. 
Amidst the soft view of yarn frayed on the edges rise stairways covered in dark algae. Walls eaten by humidity and whole houses with no woven parts. Eventually, all of the maze is left behind. A city of stone where the work of weavers does not belong swallows the walker. The canals flow brown in the chasm among the buildings, and gondolas rise and fall between water and air. None of the other weavers come to the city with me. The banks of Halfway Canal are still burst and rippling. The pavements have been claimed by water, and I have to climb up steps cut on the outer wall of a tall building to one of the rope bridges that are lowered from rooftops during floods. The bridge wobbles under my footsteps. There is a small crowd standing at the far end, waiting for their turn to cross. Below, people are wading in water. Some of them.